Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, uh, brother, we are continuing on in our series on the Ten Commandments, and uh, today's is going to be one of those that, uh, when we talk about it initial initially, people's reaction will probably be, "Okay, I'm good with this one. I've got this one. We can check this one off of the box." Right? Uh, this is comes from verse thirteen in Exodus chapter twenty: "You shall not murder." Now, um, a lot of folks, if they are opening up their Bibles to look at that, uh, there's going to be some differences in different translations. Some translations actually say, um, you shall not kill. So, let's just kind of start right there and talk about, um, one, what's the, the, the best translation? What's the best way to understand that? Because there is a difference between killing and murdering, isn't there? Yeah, we understand this even as in a secular sense. Uh, the even in modern day terms, we would consider murder to be uh, murder with um, with intent. So it's intent. It's not just something like you just uh, happen to have been an accident and happen to kill someone. Um, but it's um, you you intend to take someone's life and you went ahead and did it. And it's not just in a modern sense, but even in the biblical sense. When you look through the Mosaic Law, the Mosaic Law actually makes distinctions as well. Uh, between uh, just plain manslaughter versus an actual intent to take someone's life. In fact, cities of refuge that are described in the book of Numbers um, exist for exactly for that purpose, for those who uh, may have killed someone else but unintentionally to flee to a city of refuge where they can await someone who will serve as a judge to judge the case to determine whether this was malicious with malicious intent or what was this just kind of happenstance. And the penalties are very different depending upon the situation. Yeah, and you know sometimes uh, this kind of confusion can just be dealt with if you take a step back and ask a few questions. For instance, we do know that there have been times where God has killed, and so if it was just a prohibition on killing, period, then God would be in violation of His own commandment, which is not possible, right? And of course, um, He commanded the the Israelites to conquer certain people groups and things like that. And so there there obviously is a distinction uh, to to be made here. Um, it, you know, when we're talking about this commandment, we'll kind of move from Old Testament. Testament into New Testament, because when we get to the, by the time we get to the New Testament, we have Jesus himself actually shedding a little bit of light on this commandment, and in fact, making it even more difficult to obey, as it were, um, and we'll kind of get there as we move along. But I, I would say that the first place to start is in Genesis chapter one, and that's getting a value for life, understanding um, how God values life, why God values life. And this commandment really is to put a fence around the sanctity of life. You go to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and we find this there where God creates man and says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so he creates man in his own image. And so mankind, every person, regardless of ethnicity, uh, where they grew up, what uh, political views they hold, 
has an inherent value by God because they are made in the image of God. And I think if we start there, uh, we, we begin getting a different perspective on how we ought to treat people and how we ought to view people, wouldn't you say? Yeah, when you look at that a creation account, it's very clear that God separated man from the rest of creation. That includes the animal kingdom. Um, there's a lot of people out there that would like to consider humans to just be another animal species, and animals are very much like us. You've got groups like PETA that basically value the lives of animals to be equal to humans, and in many cases, even more valuable than humans. But the fact of the matter is Genesis 1 says that only man is created in the image of God. And it's for that reason that man is created in the image of God that we want to be um, very careful we want to value human life and not just simply take it just because we feel like we want to take it and in our culture today that's a big problem we look at things like abortion and even how we treat the elderly and when you look at the pandemic and just some of the um some some of the cases of um, high numbers of death tolls taking place in elderly patient homes uh, during that time it's very clear that we do not value all life equally and even when it comes down to skin color or ethnicity, sometimes people will value one type of life more than the others. But what we all share in common, according to Genesis 1, is that we are all created in the image of God. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, so when we're talking about the difference between killing and murdering, I, I mean, we have we have all these distinctions in Scripture, and Scripture is our authority, and we've appealed to some of those already. But for instance, you go to Genesis 9-6, and here we have a command. It says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man's blood shall be shed. Uh, by man, his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God, he made man. And so, we see the penalty for murder as being death. Right. Yeah. Um, because of the the value of that. You can go to Exodus 21 um, and we see this kind of thing again in verses 12 through 14. It says he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but let him fall into his hands, then I will appoint you a place in which you may flee, which you referenced these cities of refuge earlier. If, however, a man acts presumptuously towards his neighbor, so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar that he may die. And so we have very clear distinctions in this. And this is an interesting one because I have often heard um, or read on social media things like, well, if you're pro-life, uh, you're a hypocrite if you believe in the death penalty. Um, and and they'll bring up, you know, this kind of thing. The, the command says, you know, and they'll say, thou shall not kill. Well, no, the difference is we understand uh, the Bible and uh, the difference between killing and murdering. And it was actually God himself who originally instituted capital punishment for the murder uh, of, of an innocent of another innocent person. And so not only is capital punishment appropriate, but God is the one who initially instituted that um, as a penalty for taking an innocent life. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And we have to be careful of making these false equivocations. It's also a reminder not to get your theology off of social media. There's a lot of bad uh, opinions that happen out there. 
um, make sure that everything you hear can be validated with scripture and the very um, inescapable truth that we see in the old testament especially that mosaic law is that there were many types of sins um, in which the penalty was death and you didn't even necessarily have to murder someone even being a false prophet speaking presumptuously on behalf of god was worthy of death and of course who was supposed to do that well i mean god could always uh, bring death to people i mean he did that with the rebellion of korah and their family um, but this was actually a command for the governing authorities and when we think of israel we think we know that israel was a theocracy they existed as an independent nation so they were to appoint judges and make sure that death was carried out as the proper punishment for certain types of sins um, so to say that you um you can't be um you can't be against abortion and then be for the death penalty that's impossible to reconcile as a christian especially when you look right at the old testament it says right there that while you are not to murder um the penalty for murdering is that your life itself is going to be taken yeah and it, you know the principle here is yes we are not the nation of israel we're not bound uh, to their civil laws but that's something god instituted which means it could never be wrong or sinful um because god can never do anything that's wrong or sinful um However, if someone were to say, well, that was the Old Testament, okay, well, that's fine. Well, then you can turn to the book of Romans, because here the Apostle Paul uh, restates it in the New Testament, right, to, to the Romans in chapter 13, 3 and 4, and he's talking about submitting to authority, and uh, the assumption here is that the authorities uh, working within the boundaries that God would desire them to work in, and he says, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to uh, do do you want to have no fear of authority do what is good and you will have praise from the same for it is a minister of god to you for good but if you do what is evil be afraid for it does not bear the sword for nothing for it is a minister of god an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil so here we have it in the new testament and for whatever reason, uh, what other reason would the state yield the sword, right? Uh, swords aren't meant to uh, smack someone on the backside with the broadside of it, right? Right. Yeah, and, and even the wording, an avenger who brings wrath, um, that that kind of wording, that's, that's, that's a solemn warning um, that your life will be taken uh, for crimes that are worthy of, of that kind of punishment. So I, and I have yet to hear an acceptable explanation from those who are against the death penalty, who try to explain this another way. And I've heard people say, well, a sword was really just kind of a knife. Okay, even if you make it into a knife, what is that supposed to mean? That I'm just going to cut you? You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's rather kind of silly. Um, yeah. And then when you add on top of that an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil, um, the, the government exists and it doesn't do this perfectly. We understand that. We especially understand that even now, but it doesn't do this perfectly, but they are to exist. They are ordained by God to be a minister for good. They, uh, they, are, they exist to make sure that there are laws and that those laws are upheld and those who break the law are properly punished. They, they have the authority of God in carrying that out. And so we see that to today that um, the death penalty is um, very much a uh, right that the, that the government has. Yeah. And so we, we see that very clearly. And I think it's a very clear case. We see the difference between killing, murdering. We see that it's the state's job to wield the sword. And so we have all through scripture, it, it, there really just isn't any way you could make a case for um, it, the prohibition of, of that period. But when we're thinking of this commandment, it doesn't even um, it doesn't stop just at 
murder, uh, in physical murder. In fact, um, you know, it also prohibits um, negligent murder, right? And so you think of initially, we think of murder, and folks probably have in their mind, you know, um, a, a robber waiting behind a tree. Someone comes by and they jump out and stab them, and you know, whatever. Um, that, that's true. It certainly is that, but it's also negligent murder. We understand this in our own culture. Uh, right. Um, one of the examples that I think of instantly is uh, with drunk driving. Right. Yeah. So someone uh, it consumes alcohol, gets inebriated behind a vehicle, um, doesn't you know know what he's doing and gets in a car crash and kills another person. Right. Well, that's not premeditated murder, but you uh, will go to prison for homicide. Right. No. Um, in, in fact, uh, I. I, I knew a guy who was in that very instance growing up as a kid, a friend of my parents. Um, it, he was actually a good guy, but uh, got behind the wheel after he'd been drinking alcohol and uh, got in a wreck and, um, you know, killed someone else and spent some time in prison for, for murder. And so um, you can go to Deuteronomy 22.8, and we have several examples of this. I mean, the sundry laws... It, you know, again, we aren't bound to uh, the, the civil laws and things of Israel, but there are important principles uh, that we find there and how God operates and the holiness and character of God and even understanding um, what what makes laws righteous, you know, what laws, types of laws are righteous. So Deuteronomy 22, 8 says, when you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof so that you will not bring blood guilt on your house if anyone falls for it now what on the world what in the world is that talking about so it's kind of like a, a fence around your rooftop now we don't uh, often use our rooftops today as a extra space uh, like they did in in those days um, but that's what it's talking about so maybe a modern day equivalent would be like we put fences around uh, uh, in ground pools yeah. right so people don't accidentally fall in and drown um, or something like that and so it's interesting here because in America, I think we kind of had this have this tendency to think, well, if you fall off my roof, what does that have to do with me? What are you doing up there anyway? Uh, that that's on you. But actually, um, Scripture, and we shouldn't be surprised. Scripture uh, holds us accountable for reasonable um, ways of safeguarding people from being injured on our own property or killed on our own property. So that's an interesting one that I think we probably don't think about too much. Yeah. And I, I worked in corporate America for over two decades. And I know that uh, when you get out to construction sites, for instance, there are safety regulations that you need to follow. Um, the employer uh, who hires the contractors and the workers to be out there is responsible for making sure that there's not um, unnecessary hazards on the job site uh, to the workers. And if the worker were to get hurt and it, the company was negligent in making sure that safety protocols were followed and standards were were upheld, um, then the company is negligent. And uh, the, the, um, the person who was injured has every right to sue the employer and uh, receive additional compensation for that. So we understand that even in a secular sense, if there is something around our house, if there's some some place where we know that there is a hazard, um, we we have a civic responsibility to notify the authorities or to do what we can to ensure that others are aware of that hazard and that they don't uh, unnecessarily harm themselves because of it. 
Yeah. And, you know, again, I think we have the tendency to to be very individualistic here and think, well, you know, our government overly regulates everything. And well, I, I think that's true to myself. Um, but it is still true that we are responsible uh, to, you know, pre- prevent things on our own property uh, that are reasonable. And I use the term reasonable, right? Because, you know, you don't have to build a fortress around everything and anything. Um, But this particular law, it it was common to be on the rooftops. And so it was, you know, it's, it it makes sense, right? That someone could slip off or fall off or whatever. And so those types of things. And so in principle, that would apply to us too. If we know that there are potentially hazardous or dangerous areas on our own property where it would be likely, right? For someone to be around and we did nothing, then we and someone got killed, we would be in violation of this very same thing uh, and of this commandment. That's not the only place. Interestingly enough, um, in chapter 21 uh, of Exodus, we have another incident that kind of speaks to this negligent um, murder in uh, verses 28 and 29. And it's about an ox, right? It says, if an ox gores a man or woman to death, the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall go unpunished. Okay. Uh, Next verse, if, however, an ox was previously in the habit of goring its owner uh, and and its owner had been warned, yet he does not confine it and it kills a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. And so here we have just two quick instances in scripture where negligent murder uh, is even a violation of this command. And again, if we were to kind of bring the principle into our modern day, the first thing that most of us probably think about is dogs, right? Um, People who have had dogs who have attacked others. And if they don't do something about that to prevent that in the future and they attack them again, uh, then they would, you know, they could be in violation of this commandment if it were to kill someone. Now, interestingly enough, even our law recognizes that, right? If you have a dangerous animal who has a history of being attacked um, and you do nothing about it and it attacks others, you actually could be legally liable, Um, for someone's injury because of that. And so we recognize that again, even in our own society. Yeah, there's a big difference between that first attack um, that may have been a surprise to everyone and successive attacks after that. Um, The the first attack, um, owners are, are rarely, if ever, um, punished. Um, They're simply warned. And, and if it, continues after that and the owner hasn't taken any um, any steps then yes there there is actual negligence um, and to the the owner is then fined or, or held accountable to to some degree yeah and that makes sense right because animals are animals uh, they're capable of doing things and just because they're domesticated um, you know sometimes gives a false sense of security especially when we think about dogs but maybe something to consider would be uh, I, I would argue even if there are certain breeds of dogs that we know as a breed are yeah. prone to attacking people um, right. I, I would say if you have one of those dogs and you aren't prepared uh, to, to keep people safe from them then you know you could be negligent in in that uh, if they were to attack and hurt someone so we we have just very clear laws about um, uh, understanding about lying in wait to murder someone in a premeditated way we see negligent murder as a part of this um, obviously in our day and age um, we see murder championed 
um, and celebrated. And of course, I'm talking by way of abortion. Um, it, it's the most obvious thing to probably everyone when we started the podcast, uh, when we talk about the sixth commandment. I mean, it's quite scary, I think, when you have an entire nation and a nation's leadership um, that is not only promoting but celebrating um, a, a violation of God's law and, and especially one that has the consequences on earth that this one has, right? Yeah, and what's sad is when people, you talk about them celebrating it, and I see some, and hopefully this is just an extreme fringe, but I, I see some that wear t-shirts that celebrate the fact that uh, they aborted their child and their life is so much better because of it. And they talk about their their um, rights and their empowerment and and just how, how much better their life is as a result of that. And these are, uh, these are unfortunately individuals who um, either ignore or are completely ignorant of what it is that they're actually doing. Because if we understand that the fetus inside the womb is actual human life, well, you're celebrating the fact that you've taken human life. Mm -hmm. And all of this is driven. I mean, when we talk about not just the abortion industry, but also even the LGBTQ and all the multiple genders, we've talked about this before, but all of this is driven by a desire for sexual promiscuity. Um, it's all driven by a desire to to be promiscuous outside of the one flesh relationship of man and woman. And that is no different than in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we saw children being sacrificed to Molech. In fact, Molech is mentioned very specifically in the Old Testament that if you sacrifice your children to Molech, you shall be stoned or executed. Um, so it was no different back then. And really, the um, the the motivation for folks back then is not a whole lot different than today. They really wanted to be sexually promiscuous, and they didn't want to have to deal with the um, with the consequence of having to bear ch children and raise up children. But rather, they wanted to make themselves feel better by sacrificing those children to uh, a false god. And of course, we know that Molech is just a figment of people's imagination, but they would sacrifice them really just for their own selves. And, and that's really what false gods are all about that's what idols are about it's not really seeking the true god and worshiping the true god but it's really a god of our own making a god that we've created in our own image rather than understanding that we were created in god's image and are created to worship him uh, but yeah what's uh, what's been there from the old testament is still there today there's nothing new under the sun yeah it, you know it, today abortion is nothing more than child sacrifice to the false god of sex I, that that's what it is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, promiscuity, um, and it's incredibly it, it's an incredibly evil sin um, because it is a sin born out of covering up another sin, mm -hmm. um, right? And then and then not only just a sin, but the taking a life of of an innocent uh, human who doesn't even have you know the opportunity to defend themselves. Um, it, it, that would make it any better, but it does make it worse. Right. Uh, in, in that way. And, you know, one of the arguments is, well, it, it's not um, it's not a child yet until and, and in on the extreme end, you know, there are a group of people who are saying things like, well, it's not a child until it's born. Um, that extreme is really, to be quite frank, just so dumb that we don't need to talk about it. But there are others who would argue that until a certain stage of development, Right. Uh, it's a fetus and not a child. Um, and then it, and then people, some folks would argue that 
you know, well, people all throughout history have not recognized that it's a child until later on. Well, one, that's not true. Just historically, um, you can find early church fathers um, who spoke directly to the issue of abortion. I mean, abortion is not new. Um, The procedures that we have in modern day are new, uh, but people have uh, aborted children in heinous ways all throughout history. Um, it, you know, if you go back far enough, it was very prevalent to take poison, for instance, to try to abort the fetus. Uh, women would, you know, hit themselves against, um, you know, hard surfaces to try to damage uh, the baby. And so it's not a it's not a new thing, um, and people have understood for all of time that it is a baby, right? More importantly than that, again, we can go to Scripture and just appeal to Scripture. It's very clear, right, um, in multiple places for multiple reasons, but uh, Psalm 139, for instance, where the psalmist talks about being formed in his what mother's womb by God, um, clearly uh, w- we see that it's human life there. Uh, we understand human life happens at the point of conception. Um, there are some other uh, places as well. Um, we actually tried to record this podcast earlier and we got cut off. I think you were bringing up in the New Testament, Jesus, which was a fantastic um, point that you made there. Yeah, Jesus and uh, as well as John the Baptist, uh, we know that while they were in their rooms, Mary and Elizabeth uh, got together and John the Baptist leapt uh, in in the womb in excitement at being so close to the Messiah. Now, some will say, well, this is Jesus. He's God. He's, uh, you know, he's a a different kind of uh, man. Well, he's still 100% man. And John the Baptist was not the Messiah. He was a prophet. And some will say, well, this was just for the prophets, whether we're talking about John the Baptist or David, who wrote uh, Psalm 130. Or even the book of Jeremiah, I'm looking at the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5, uh, the Lord says to Jeremiah, says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And, and so we see all these examples, and some will say, well, that's only applied to prophets. Well, guess who the, the Bible was written by? They were God used prophets to write these books, and prophets are no more and no less human than we are. You know, so that there's not, you know, if you're going to try to make an exception for just prophets, the burden of proof is on you to show that this somehow just applies to prophets. But it's a, it's a ridiculous argument. And even for those who um, will say that, for instance, uh, well, the, the, the fetus doesn't become a person until some sort of stage. Well, that's not backed by any kind of science. And for those that will say that's not a person until they've actually um, been birthed from the womb. Well, the problem is now there are people trying to push laws that allow um, babies to be killed even post-birth, right? Yeah, so yeah. all those um, examples exist there. And and let me just add one <clears throat> one other disclaimer here, because we talked about how abortion is really the worship of the, the god of sex. And uh, undoubtedly, some of you out there will be thinking about, well, what about those cases where someone is raped and all that? Mm. Um, and, and we have a, a special episode on abortion that we did previously, and, and we made the same argument that, look, um, it's still human life in the womb. Um, and, and you don't take human life, no matter how it was conceived. But even if, and I, I would strongly disagree with you, but even if you wanted to make that argument for rape, that's really just, what? what is it, 1% um, of overall pregnancies? And even if you want to talk about ectopic pregnancies, now you're talking about another 1%, I believe. So you're still dealing with a vast percentage of people that basically others want to say they should have the right to do whatever they want because essentially it's the woman's body, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And and I think you have to start way back uh, with the doctrine uh, and the understanding, right? Is human life, human life from conception? The answer is yes. Since the answer is yes, it is therefore never acceptable to take that life. Never. Right? Right. Now that we have that settled, you can insert whatever scenario you want. Right. And, and you're not operating on emotions because that's the only reason those quote unquote exceptions come up. Um, you know, those instances are, are, are terrible instances. Right. If someone gets raped, it's horrible. Um, in, in fact, that would be an instance where I'd be totally uh, OK with the death penalty for the rapist. No. Um, but. I, I mean, sometimes we just we get so emotionally worked up that worked worked up that we don't think about the ramifications of what we're saying. I mean, to, to say that you should be able to murder an innocent child because someone was raped. What first of all, what you're saying is it's okay to take an innocent human life when the circumstance suits you. Yeah. Well, then you're just totally outside of God's word already. But the second thing you're doing is you're saying it's acceptable to commit an atrocious evil because evil was done to someone else. Right. So because evil was done to another person, I now am free to commit a horrible act of evil against another person. I, that, that's It's maddening. I mean, that is actually lunacy, right? Um, and so we... It, it, it doesn't really matter what the circumstance is, and that would go for you know things like incest or whatever else you could think of, horrible, terrible circumstances. Um, but you can't murder an innocent child because of what was done to the parent, uh, yeah, no. it, you know. And so it, it, we've we've just got to understand that um, it, it's sad in our day that we're having all these discussions around abortion and. Uh, I mean, our whole society is really driven by kind of the sexual revolution, uh, and abortion has been birthed out of that um, because they don't want consequences, right, um, to sexual activity. Uh, and, and it's very sad. It's a huge violation. If you're a Christian, um, th- there are no exceptions for abortion for you. Um, there, there's no exceptions for anyone, but the, the commandment is abundantly clear, right? You shall not murder. Uh, abortion is not only just murder, it's actually premeditated murder because you have to make appointments and decisions. I mean, you, you make an appointment, you plan to take your child and pay someone, which makes them an assassin to murder your innocent yeah. child. Uh, and I think that's the way we need to... Uh, to look at that. So we've talked about that um, in, in not only that, but in the old Testament where we're just talking about the fact that it is a human life. Um, so let's appeal to, again, the authority of scripture, go back to Exodus, Exodus 21 um, and 20, uh, 22 to 25. And listen to what it says here. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child, that's just common language for pregnant, right? With child, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury. She shall, sh- uh, he shall surely be fined, and the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judge desires. So this is just if two men are fighting, and a woman is around, she gets hit. There's no injury to the baby, but she gives birth prematurely. There's going to be a fine. Let me keep going though. But if there is any further injury then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise, 
life for life. So if two men are fighting and a pregnant woman gets hit by one of them and causes death to that child, the penalty is death. And so clearly a human life here, and this is um, a life before birth, right? So that eliminates that argument too. Yeah, and some might argue that this is really just talking about injury to the woman. But remember that verse 22 doesn't just say a woman. If you happen to strike a woman, it says a woman with child. Um, The understanding is that she has human life inside of her. And even if you watch like news reports, if you ever hear of stories of a pregnant woman being involved in, say, a terrible car accident where where she dies and, and the child dies with her. The news report will report that, saying that the woman and her child, uh, a pregnant woman and her child both died. They they are referring to that as a person, not as a clump of cells. They don't say a woman and the clump of cells died. And even <clears throat> I know of a well-known, uh, very well-known celebrity who's very uh, pro-murder on this um, on this stance and is known to be a, an activist for this position. But she wanted a child. And when she had a miscarriage, she went to social media and reported that I've lost my child. Now, I don't celebrate that. Um, I, I don't, um, you know, I, I grieve for anyone that has to go through a miscarriage, which, by the way, is not the same thing as abortion. But um, I, I grieve for anyone that has to to go through with that. Um, my point in bringing up the story is that her language recognizes that she had a person inside of her and that person died. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we see that all through scripture. So we see premeditated murder is a violation of this commandment, negligent murder, abortion, um, and then we come to the New Testament, and we see one that I think we very seldom think about. And uh, this is in, if you go to Matthew 5, Jesus is speaking, and he brings a little bit of enlightenment and some further understanding to this commandment. And he says, you have heard the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. So this is Jesus uh, repeating the commandment here. And whoever commits murder shall be liable in the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And so Jesus brings a different dynamic here, and it's anger. And this makes a lot of sense, I think, if you think about the fact that murder is very simply the the fruit of anger. Anger, if left unchecked, turns into hatred. Hatred, left unchecked, turns into murder. Um, and then, of course, here, Jesus dealing with the heart issue. No one, no one just skips to the murder stage. There's always hatred uh, in murder. Um, and and so and then that's always born out of anger. And so it's kind of the phases of that. But this is a, a big one because if at the beginning of this, uh, most of us look and we say, okay, we can check that one off. Now we've got to go back with uh, our eraser and uncheck that box because who of us has never been unrighteously angry um, at someone in our life? And Jesus says that that is, that is enough to condemn you equally. Uh, yeah. To murder, the consequences are different. Obviously, right? Um, you're not taking a human life, but the 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 heart is very much the same. Yeah, Ephesians, um, I think it's chapter four, tells us, "Do not let the sun go down on your anger." Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to be controlled by anger because certainly anger can lead to that kind of bitterness and and that kind of kind of actions. But yes, while Jesus makes the point that even anger is like murder in the heart. 
um, that and he goes on to conclude in verse 48 of chapter 5 that you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect in other words if you're trying to justify yourself by the law um, it's not just merely external um, righteousness it's it's to the heart that you're not even angry at someone which goes to show just how important the image of God is that all people are creating the image of God and we're not even to be unrighteously angry against them now I say unrighteous unrighteously angry there is righteous anger um, but very seldomly is our anger I would argue truly righteous mm -hmm. um, the the righteous anger is really an anger on behalf of God um, when God's name is slandered when when God is um, dishonored uh, when when um, he is blasphemed those kinds of things that that's a righteous anger but even then we're not told to act upon it um, by by you know trying to take someone's life or anything like that but you're right I, when we talk about uh, anger itself it's the same it starts off as the same kind of sin as actual murder but Jesus is not saying that those who are angry now needs to be executed right, right? so we, we understand that there's still a difference and in the, even in the Old Testament um, there is never anything in there about being executed out of murder but Jesus is, is pointing out the fact that the issue that we have starts with the heart the reason why people murder is because they get angry and they let that anger go unchecked yeah absolutely and this is an interesting one and and i kind of want to you know just uh pastorally maybe press it on people who are listening how, how do we deal with this how do we check our heart where are we in danger of uh breaking this commandment um when we get to anger well i think one of the ways that we're going to see coming up real to real soon is during election times yeah right so the midterms um i i think you know, this is often where in, in our political environment, everything is really um, it, it's very divisive and it's very polarizing now, more so than ever before. And I, I think all of politics um, now sort of demands uh, and, and beckons us to hate one another, um, it, which for the Christian, we just can't do. And I think if we're honest uh, many of us w would find that um, we, we hate people who are on the other side of us, right? I, I think if we're honest, we we would recognize that there have been those times where we're, we're so angry at the sin, we're so angry at what's going on that we find ourselves not only just hating the sin, but actually hating the people. Um, and in those moments, um, we're, we're violating this commandment. Uh, and we're violating the teachings of Christ. And a couple things we can say there, it, you know, one is the godless is not our enemy. And we've said that many times on this podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're our mission field. We can't expect the godless to act righteously. And we shouldn't expect them to act righteously. Now, we should expect them to obey the law. Um, but that's a whole different thing. Yeah. But even when they don't, or even when the law turns wicked, right, um, we never... Uh, we never have a time, just like when it's never acceptable to abort a child, for the Christian, it's never acceptable to hate uh, our, our neighbors. We can hate the sinfulness. We can hate what they're doing, um, you know, all of that. But I think our current political environment uh, even drags us further. And we sort of see this on social media, right? Um, you can often see this kind of thing just in the nasty ways people talk to one another. Um, and, and I'm not talking about tone. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of the tone police myself. Um, but you can, in, you can often see it right in, in the turn, the language that they use, uh, the back and forth that we see on various kinds of media and things like that. So it, coming up now for us, uh, this is one of those things where, um, we've just got to remember 
we have a kingdom that we belong to, and it's not Kingdom America. It's the kingdom of God. Um, I, I love Pilgrim's Progress so much because it is such a fantastic allegory of um, what the Christian life is in terms of, you know, he, he leaves, Christian leaves the city, the city of destruction. Um, and he's, everything he's doing is getting him towards the celestial city. Uh, and sometimes when we get so wrapped up in our, you know, our national politics, um, we start to kind of take on the same character as unbelievers, right? We join in battles that we shouldn't join in. And I'm not saying we don't vote or things like that. But what I am saying is that we need to be cautious that we don't start hating people because they're on a side different than us. Um, and, and it, you know, we can I, look there. There are things that you just can't support as a Christian, right? Uh, I have no problem saying that if you're a faithful Bible-believing Christian, you can't support the Democrat Party. No problem saying that. Um, uh, that being said, y- you can't hate people who are in that party either, right? Um, that at the very least, uh, they're being deceived, and and some are deceiving others. Yeah, and the it's a reminder that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities. It's against the kingdom of darkness. Um, Ephesians 2 talks about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we followed after the course of this world, after the prince of the power of the air. The forces of evil, the deemed demonic realm, Satan himself, they are all interested in supporting a system that continues to strengthen our rebellion against God. Now, our rebellion against God comes from our heart because we are depraved by nature. We are born sinners. We are born in a state of mind that uh, sets us against God. We hate God. We don't seek God. We are unrighteous, and so we deserve um, the we deserve the, the penalty, which is eternal death. <clears throat> and but we also recognize that for those of us who are saved, we are also not saved by any works of our own. We are saved yeah. by the works of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now the spiritual battle, um, it's not. Um, it's not moral reform. It's not societal transformation, um, because all of these things are going to be burned up anyway. Um, the, the the goal is to bring people to Christ. And if there's any hope for a society to be improved, if there's any hope for a country to be improved, it has to start with bringing the gospel and helping them to know Jesus Christ and start to act uh, based upon the commandments that Jesus Christ uh, gives us. And so that that is how we engage uh, engage with the spiritual realm and and in this day and age you mentioned it uh, and we're more divided than ever and it's because there's all kinds of false equivocations that say things like well words are violence disagreement is violence no well violence is violence and some who support uh, the other side will uh, appeal to jesus christ talking about how just as we said um, when you get angry at someone it's like murder in the heart well it's still not the same degree of um of sin as as actually murdering someone right like i said no one is um no, no one is suggesting that we should start uh, sending people to the, the um to the gas chamber or to be injected uh, lethally because they got angry at someone um so th- this is um th- th- we have false equivocations now where you're not allowed to disagree and and we as christians we can't we we can't take that stance we we have to be more civil than that we have to be we have to be willing to disagree agreeably and uh, and ultimately to hope that people come to Christ. Now let me read this example because 1 Peter 
Look, Peter's writing um, during a time in which Christians were being executed in Rome for a fire that they did not start. They were being impaled in public, and a lot of people outside of Rome were concerned that that same persecution was going to reach them. And so Peter writes to them, and right at the start of chapter 2, he says this. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the lord now why would peter have to say this he and he uses the word all multiple times all malice all deceit all slander why, why does he say that well he says that because we can often justify evil when evil is being done to us and so peter is saying no don't do that you're continued to be zealous for doing what is good. He goes on to say that in chapter three, be zealous for, for doing what is good rather than doing what is evil so that even if they persecute you, they're going to end up glorifying God on the day of visit, on, on the day of judgment. Um, so we are to continue to strive in, in doing what is good. We are to continue to strive in expressing love to our neighbors by sharing the gospel. And then we're not to act the way the world acts just mm -hmm. because there are disagreements about how things should be run here in this temporal world. And, and by the way, that 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 also um, runs the danger of of taking away from us where our hope should be and our hope is in in the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of jesus christ that's yeah. also in first peter chapter 1 verse 13 so our focus our hope is completely upon jesus christ and in the meantime what we're called to do is we're called to glorify him by continuing his work um, by bringing forth the gospel and making disciples of all the nations yeah, and that's a good litmus test. If if you're listening and you're and, and you're thinking, you know, am am I guilty of this? Have I broken this commandment? Well, yes, you have. Um, I'll just tell you if you're human. But uh, a litmus test, in in even now as we're talking about the most tension, you know, the most uh, the times that we have the most tensiousness in society is typically around elections. Um, it, the, a litmus test is, you know, are are you concerned for the soul of this other person? If that's not your concern and you're burning with anger over what's going on and angry at people, and yeah, I mean, I'll just tell you, uh, probably the, the the hitting the nail on the head, um, a good example would be how do you feel about our current president? Do you hate him? Um, if you hate him, you're in violation of God's commandment and you're in opposition to the character of Christ. Um, and that's a hard thing to say, because if you're a believer, you have to hate everything this current administration is standing for. Yeah. Um, but you know what? They're not believers. Right. And, and so our concerns got to be for their souls. And I'm not saying we're apathetic um, in, in society. No, we, we, we do what we can do to promote things that are in line with um, God's character. And uh, moralism uh, in and of itself is good for society. Right. When people obey the laws for whatever reason, that's good. Um, but we can't hate people. And so that's a good litmus test and something that we should be asking ourselves. And where, when we've fallen short uh, and if the Holy Spirit's bringing that up to us uh, and we're feeling convicted, then we need to take some time and repent of that um, and, and guard our heart as, uh, against that. And we repent and we get in the word and look for those opportunities to pray for our leaders. I mean, this is commanded yeah. in scripture, right? Uh, to pray for our government and pray for their salvation. Um, and so that's just a good litmus test. Well, brothers, we kind of wrap this up. Uh, we've been talking about the commandments and as we've been doing in every episode, we want to talk about God's law because it's good and it's holy and it's righteous. And then we also want to talk about the, the gospel. And uh, we've been talking about how every single person 
um, has broken this commandment. And the, the when when we break the commandments of God, the penalty is eternal damnation. That's a just penalty for breaking the law of God. Mm-hmm. And this is where the gospel comes in, right? The gospel is the good news. What's the good news? The good news is that God, loving those who he's predestined and called to himself, sent Christ, his only son, to die so that the penalty would be paid for those who would repent of their sins and put their trust and confess Christ as Lord and Savior. And and that's the good news. Um, and so if you're listening to this and you're not a believer um, and you recognize that you do deserve this penalty, uh, th- that's how we're saved. Uh, we're not saved by our own righteousness. We're not saved by anything that we've done. Christ came, lived a perfect life um, in active obedience and in passive obedience. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ, and we repent of our sins, um, then His righteousness is imputed to us, um, and our penalty is is paid because it was paid on on the cross when He died, and that's the good news. And so we have both the law and the gospel. Anything to add to that, brother? No, that's our main weapon of warfare. Uh, bring forth the gospel. We are the um, we are the body of Christ. Uh, we are His arms. We are His legs and feet. Uh, we uh, carry on His work, and that is to help people to uh, understand and to know who Jesus Christ is. It's like what John says in his purpose in writing the gospel according to John, and that's that um, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and by that by believing you will have eternal life in him. And so that that is our main goal. It's to make disciples by bringing the gospel and helping to teach others to observe all that he has commanded to us. Um, that is how we glorify him until he returns. Amen. Well, we hope this podcast has been a helpful episode to you today. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.